0: Hey, how about Jonah 3? Could you turn to Jonah chapter 3, please? Old Testament, to give you a little bit of a help for those of you who are turning pages and don't have a device. It's right after the book of Obadiah. That that ought to help a lot. Okay, another hint. It's just before the book of Micah. Maybe that'll sew it up for you. Yeah, Jonah. So in golf, they call it a mulligan. And in life, they call it a do-over. So in golf, if you make a bad shot and you're with the right people, you just set the ball down and take another shot. In life, uh, boy, I'd like to have some mulligans, and sometimes as a sports fan, I would love for my team to have a mulligan. You know, a certain play goes awry, and hey, could we just call a time, hit the pause button, back that up, let's run another play. So here we are. Some of you might remember this. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. You're not even safe in church to get away from this bad memory. So why are you so excited about this? This is a Super Bowl a number of years ago. The Seahawks didn't, didn't score. Put it that way. So we're watching this, and there was a, a pass over the middle. And it was intercepted. And, and, you know, cardiac arrests all over the Pacific Northwest. I would love, as a sports fan, to just hit the pause button and say, Could could we have a do-over on this? And and line them up the same way, exactly the same way. Okay, in this this case, instead of throwing the ball over the middle, how about hand the ball to number 24, and let's just see what happens. Wouldn't that be nice? A do-over. Well, we're in a very unique situation in the Old Testament where God, in His grace, gives a man who is in clear rebellion to Him, gives a man a do-over. You, you, you know what, that was a bad call, Mr. Jonah, let's, let's just tee it up again, and, and we're going to call it a mulligan. So here's Jonah, and he's in the area of Joppa, and he's told to go to Nineveh, which is only 550 miles away. I know it's a terrible assignment, it's hard, it's difficult, but instead of going there and obeying the Lord, he runs to um, Tarshish. So modern day countries, instead of going to Iraq, he goes to Spain from Israel, <laughs> Shorter distance, just just take the assignment, but uh, he didn't want to do it. So, Jonah gets a second chance, and I think in a a small way, this represents the big second chance that God gives to all of us. New life in Christ. Wow. So, we can go ahead and uh, take this photo off. I'm going to read to you a couple of passages. I know I got you in them. I've got you in in the book of Jonah. I want you to stay there. I'll just read uh, first from the Psalms and then from the book of Hebrews. Listen for the the grace of second chance in these readings. So Psalm one hundred and three, verse ten: God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far from the east as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions f- from us. So that's Psalm 103. Here's Hebrews chapter 8. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Is that good news for you today? Forgiving sins is sort of like a legal act where God declares in a court of law, this person is Clean. This person is forgiven. This person is right in my sight. Remembering their sins no more is a relational act. Let's have relationship with each other. Let's draw, you can draw close to me. I have declared your sins to be null and void. You draw close to me. Now when God removes our, our, What we are not used to, let me just put it this way what we are not accustomed to is the incredible, radical grace of God. In order to prepare us for the radical nature of God's grace, we have the Old Testament. And sometimes we encounter narratives which demonstrate the grace of God. And in the book of Jonah, we have one of those reluctant uh, representatives. No, I should say we have the most reluctant representative of God ever, and the most unlikely group of people to come to faith in God, perhaps, ever. So let me put this overly simplistic in a way that's overly simplistic and a little bit crude, just I'm going to exaggerate for the sake of effect, bad missionary, bad people. That's what we have in in the book of Jonah. And this comes out in in, in Jonah chapter 3. Bad missionary, bad people, and so what is God to do? When you bring these two together, you see the surprising grace of God. And that's my aim this morning, is to introduce you to the surprising grace of God. I see several ways in which God's grace shows up. God's grace is given to Jonah, God's grace is spoken by Jonah. God's grace is given to the people of Nineveh. We want to start first with this grace that God gives to his prophet, his rebellious prophet, Jonah. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Just stop right there. That is mind-boggling. Did you say what? The grace of God came to Jonah a second time. He's still in the game. As rebellious as he tried to be, leave and get away as far as possible, God sent the same message to the same messenger to go to the same location, and that tells us the problem is not the message or the sender of the message. The problem has been Jonah, and this is highlighted by something that's unique in the original language. So let's look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It begins by saying, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, that just stop right there. And then uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, and it starts with this. Now, uh, excuse me, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. So, he ran away from the Lord. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Literally, both those verses begin with the same words in the original language. And Jonah arose. Now, we know in chapter 1, Jonah arose to run for the Lord. We also know that in chapter 3, Jonah rose to obey the Lord. He makes good use of his second chance, in other words. Jonah's uh, conflict really begins with an inner conflict, and that's revealed in chapter 1, verse 9. Look at this. They're on a ship at sea. The storm is sent by God. The ship's going to go down. Everybody seems to know it, including Jonah. And so the sailors on the ship ask him, what should we do? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, everything about that statement is true. Jonah's not deluded here. He's not speaking in the context of darkness. He's actually quite accurate what put jonah in such a turmoil is his corresponding to the desire to run from the lord jonah knew he belonged to god jonah embraced the sovereignty of god jonah knew of his responsibility and yet he wanted none of that in terms of the external conflict human wisdom uh, explains the situation these people who are far from God as demonstrated by their evil and their wickedness uh, Jonah perceives them, them to be basically out of reach sometimes we have folks in our network of relationships who seem to be like that so far removed from God and the things of God the value of God they must be beyond the reach of God And Jonah's going to learn that that's not so. But add to that, these people that he perceives to be beyond the reach of God, he also perceives them to be dangerous. Rightfully so. So Jonah wants nothing of this assignment. It's uh, perhaps appearing to him to be a no-win situation, and he might die. In order to get Jonah's attention God, um, and, and help him to grow into obedience, God, God does this. So, God, in his sovereignty, led Jonah through judgment, mercy, and then grace. Jonah is told by God to do the very same thing that he refused to do the first time. Nobody could fault God if, if a provision of the fish helps Jonah escape the sea. And the fish deposited Jonah on dry land. And then got a, God moves some other spokesperson to go to Nineveh and deliver that message. Nobody could blame God if he did that. That would be mercy. Jonah has deserved judgment. He has deserved uh, the sea swallowing him up and taking his life. He has run from God, delivered uh, rebellion. But he receives <coughs> mercy in that there is this provision of, of safety, and he's delivered to the land. He can live his life, perhaps in whatever way he chooses, he's got his life back. But God's grace goes beyond mercy. Mercy is dealing is, is offering the pardon for sin. Grace is offering the abundance of the, of the same assignment. Joni, you're still in the game. You get to do this, and you get to do it right this time. And so Jonah received judgment, he received mercy, and he also received grace. Having received all of that, Jonah is now ready to take his hard message to the Ninevites. And that brings us to a second way in which uh, the surprising grace of God is demonstrated in this passage. God's grace is spoken by Jonah. Now, it might seem to you as if the the message that Jonah spoke, you're all going to die. It might seem to you that that's not gracious. You might have a preference, particularly as you've been immersed in a postmodern American culture, you might have a preference to think it would be more gracious for Jonah to have gone and said, you know, God loves you just the way you are. And he's able to accept you just the way you are. God is not intolerant. He is able to tolerate you. You have nothing to worry about. Here's another way to look at it. The God of the Bible is perfect. Maybe I should say he's perfectly holy. And nothing unholy can survive in his presence. If that much is true, is it a loving thing to withhold that information? God in his grace does not keep his existence a secret. All of creation speaks of God. The design speaks of the designer. We all have a chance to look around our world and come to a realization that someone greater than people put this together God does not keep his resistance his existence a secret but also God has revealed himself to us we call this special revelation or specific revelation God has spoken in his word still speaks in his word he has spoken most completely most fully in the person of, of Jesus Christ but also this God does not keep his holiness a secret Oh, well, that's good God has announced his provision of his son, life through his son, by sending Jesus here to tell us in terms that are clear and simple and compelling that he offers life in his son. What makes the gospel effective is what makes the gospel clear. It is clear. It is simple. God is holy and you are not, and he offers to you the provision of his son, Jesus Christ. Doesn't need to be cluttered up any more than that. The gospel is so powerful when it is clear. It doesn't need to be dressed up and it doesn't need to be watered down. It just needs to be told. Well, the hard part of that is that there's a, there's, there's a mix of good news and bad news in the gospel, as well as the, uh, the message that, that Jonah is to, to bring. It's it's tempting to soften the bad news and, and more or less put all our focus on the good news. Well, the message that Jonah was entrusted with may have been a hard message. But softening the message or changing the message would not put the people in better position to receive the grace of God. It actually might handicap them. I think I understand just a, a small piece of Jonah's resistance because I find that from time to time that resides in my heart as well. Years, years ago, came across a book by R.C. Sproul called Chosen by God. And it's, it, unfortunately, it's somewhat controversial because it deals with the sovereignty of God, which seems to be controversial in some circles of, of Christianity. The point of the book is that God has the authority and the ability to choose people he saves. And, and even that can be, saying that can be hard for some people to hear. But in that book, in the introduction, I, I wrote down something and I, I just, ha- I, I taped it to my Bible. It's not the Bible. These words are not Holy Spirit inspired, but they help me to understand the content of the Bible in simplicity. So this is what R.C. Sproul wrote in his Introduction of a book called Chosen by God, which is about the sovereignty of God. You're required to preach, or excuse me, you're required to believe, to preach, and to teach what the Bible says is true, not what you want the Bible to say is true. That's a weekly reminder for me. Before I go to preach, before I go to study to preach, I review those words. I don't have an option of making up stuff, and neither did Jonah. Hard message, yeah, but it's a gracious message because you're telling people that they can become right with a holy God. So, based on Jonah chapter 3, it looks like Jonah um, said more than a short phrase. We have it as a, I think it's a summary statement, Um, 40 days, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. So that's what we have, I think, as a summary of the proclamation that Jonah made throughout uh, the city of Nineveh. Let's look at how the king, in particular, responded to that. So verse 7. The king issued a a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Okay, now that sounds like fasting, which is an Old Testament concept. But where did the king get the idea that you could fast and it would have any, any kind of a benefit whatsoever in the sight of a holy God? Verse 8, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Well, now that sounds like a personal God can be influenced if you call upon him. Where in the world did the king get that idea? If it was just 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, how did he know there was even a God out there to call to? Where did he get this information? Second half of verse 8, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Well, now, wait a minute. Where did the king ever get the idea that what he was doing or what the people in Nineveh were doing was evil or wicked or violent? Where did he get that? In our culture, we, I, I hear reports all the time, turn on the news, or sometimes even from folks who are just living regular lives, there's a tendency to sort of downplay the word evil and wicked. And, and to not, not highlight violence, but let's speak of appeasement, and let's speak of being nice to each other. Where did this king, who evidently was living in a culture immersed in this kind of wickedness and violence, where did he ever get the idea that this thing here was evil? Who told him that? Verse 9, who knows, the king said, God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Where did the king ever get the idea that you could actually repent before God and ask for his compassion rather than his judgment? Where did the king get that idea? I would just wager a guess that Jonah took his time. And it wasn't like he was on um, some kind of rollerblades and just humming through the, the city as fast as he could with a bullhorn you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. No, I think he explained it. You are in peril of meeting God in his wrath, but you can meet God in his grace. Here's how. And that echoes the the New Testament sentiment of calling people to have a right relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ so my opinion it's a summary statement in order for the king to clearly understand god's judgment and mercy and grace jonah must have said some more things than 40 more days and you're in trouble let me try to summarize it with this statement i i I intended to i think i put it on your notes God in his sovereignty has revealed the depth of his mercy by telling us about his judgment, which prepares us for his grace. So God revealed the depth of his mercy by sending Jonah to Nineveh to tell them about his judgment and that prepared them to receive his grace. And he's still in the business of doing the same thing even today. God in His grace has made Himself known and how it is that we can have relationship with Him. So the essence of missions, since we're in Missions Month, the essence of missions comes down to this. People bring the message. God brings the repentance. No missionary, no matter how skilled, can convince a person to repent. That is required by the work of the Lord. One of the Corinthians, and I I forget which letter now, it'll hit me at three in the morning. Um, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, you you could talk those words as a secular in atheistic person. You're not going to say those words and, and mean them. You're not going to own that. You're not going to embrace the meaning of that. No one gets to a point where you can say, Jesus is Lord unless God has done a work on your heart. These people did not repent on their own. They weren't convinced by a fish-smelling prophet, hey, we better do what he says or else we might end up like him. They heard the message and God worked on their hearts and they repented in response to the word of God and in response to to the people of God. Oh, uh, yeah, in response to the Okay, anyway, only God can change the human heart is what I'm trying to say. Only God can change the human heart. Okay, so the final segment I want to take you through is God's grace is given to the people of Nineveh. Quick question for you to think about. How do we know the message was received and believed? Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, verse 32, Jesus tells us straight out, the people of Nineveh heard the message and they repented. So you can read through chapter 3 and chapter 4 and you don't find the word repent. You know, we get that from Jesus. And I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. The people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. The message was received, and it was believed, and that order is so important. In order to be, be, in order to be believed, the message has to be received. So let's see how this shows up in, in the New Testament, and how this relates to missions. I'm going to turn now to the book of Romans chapter 10, and that's worth turning to. If uh, you have a Bible and you're turning pages, or get on your device and find the book of Romans Turn to chapter 10, and let's see how this um, shows up in relation to missions. While you're turning there, I'm going to nab a drink of water. The book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church. It might be uh, easy for you to think that Paul in his brilliance just knows a bunch of things, and it's easy for him to write this. And I I can understand that. I have to um, take classes and read books and listen to podcasts just to understand Paul. He is brilliant, and he is deep. But don't be fooled by a concept of natural brilliance. One of the things that helps us to understand the radical nature of the grace of God, since it's so different than our world and it's so different than our heart's inclination, is that we have the Old Testament and we have stories and events such as Jonah. And I think Paul was influenced by the Old Testament in Jonah. And I'm gonna show you a passage of scripture where I, I, I think, this is my opinion, my guess, Paul was influenced specifically by the book of Jonah, although the word Jonah doesn't appear in, in uh, chapter 10 of Romans. So let's connect the dots first, and then, then we'll read a few verses. Uh, Jonah clearly shows us that Nineveh is, the, uh, is a city in a foreign nation. This nation doesn't know God and doesn't know what is wrong in the eyes of God. They need to make things right with God. But how can they do that if they don't even know that God exists? How can they know that God exists? How can they believe God? Put it this way. How can they believe God if they don't know that God exists? And how can they believe God unless someone tells them about God? And how can someone go and tell them about God unless someone is sent to go tell them about God? Okay, that sets us up to read this section in Romans chapter 11, and I'll start with verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? The Apostle Paul knew it was not automatic that the Ninevites just sort of figured things out. It was also not enough that they saw God in creation. They needed something specific. They needed someone to come to them and to tell them clearly in a language and with words that they could understand there is a God who is holy and you have offended this holy God. He has provision for you You don't want to meet him in his wrath. You want to meet him in his grace. You need to repent. They need a messenger sent by God to bring God's message in a way that they can understand. That messenger was Jonah. So Jonah brought a hard message to Nineveh. Sometimes we encounter in Scripture hard messages that are written down for us. What will help us? What will help you to read or to hear hard messages that come from the Lord? One thing for certain I have found, and perhaps I could list many. I'm just going to give you one. This should be something you've heard me say before. Time spent in the Word of God. Time spent in God's Word will help you to understand the message of God's Word, no matter where it appears in Scripture, and no matter how how hard it might be for you to hear that message. As you grow in your understanding of God and His work in the world, which is recorded in the Bible, you come to understand God's heart not just for the nations, but for you as well. And how it is that God in his word could say thus and so that sometimes triggers angst in your mind. You see, God offers something better than a do-over. We approach situations in life and we just want to tough it out and do it again, and this time we're going to figure it out. God offers something better than a do-over. He offers his grace Sometimes that is seen in a new life, sometimes that is seen in a new opportunity. Not an easy life, not an easier opportunity, but a new life and a new opportunity. Not that life is determined by what you want to do at every turn, but a new life of following Jesus Christ. I learned a long time ago that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and embraces the mission of Jesus. Let's close with that. Dear God, we are so thankful that you give to us opportunities to repent to embrace forgiveness and then to start over undeserving as we are we understand that's what grace is about new life in Christ new opportunities in Christ and we want to embrace that Lord I'm I'm aware that all over this room, there are people with different stories and different circumstances, and some of us bring things into this room that are hard and heavy, and it just doesn't seem like there's anything better around the corner. Lord, I pray that you administer your grace in the sense of comfort and confidence, Grant us again that understanding that we could know that you are sovereign, all things in your hands. We are not outside of your reach and neither is that other person that sometimes we pray for and we hope to see change in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Lord, please take what is hard and heavy and make something new. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.